loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident, rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life, told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews. Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope, and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Did you know our podcast sponsor, the nonprofit I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation, is on social media? Well, you can find out more about I See That's initiatives, learn more about the science behind spinal cord injuries, and build community with others in the spinal cord injury and trauma healing space by following I See That on Instagram at I See That Nonprofit, spelled I C T H A T Nonprofit, and on Facebook at the URL www.facebook.com backslash ic.that.org Links to those platforms will be in the show notes. I also want to tell you about a company that strives to help those with spinal cord injuries through regeneration and reconstruction. Thank you to Orthofix, the creators of a medical device that encourages spinal fusion and quality of life. They are one of the first financial underwriters of the Blink of an Eye Family Support and Navigation Team for Spinal Cord Injury Families. I am thrilled about the Blink of an Eye team who will provide emotional, spiritual, and mental health support, as well as logistical and medical navigation tips for spinal cord injury families in the first 30 days of injury as they work with ICU and hospital staff and begin to recalibrate their lives. Blink of an Eye wants to transform the medical crisis and trauma experience for spinal cord injury families. For more about this service, go to the parents' nonprofit, www.ic. THAT.org. If you know of a spinal cord injured family in the crisis hours and days from injury, please connect them to www.icthat.org. We are so grateful to our donors and volunteers. If you are interested in making a difference in the lives of those in SCI trauma, you can be a part of the Blink of an Eye Family Support and Navigation Team effort as they are recruiting prayer warriors and artists and letter writers for the Hope Lifters campaign to send words of inspiration and encouragement to spinal cord injury families in crisis. Send me an email if interested to louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. Now, For today's episode, where we left off, Archer was a couple days past 
another surgery where we pick up a number of days have passed and so much has happened. I was aware of an anticipation and even tension of not having written to update my loved ones in a while. I knew they were anxious and I couldn't continue responding to the many, many texts. I was also beginning to feel that there were more readers following Archer's story than I knew. I was beginning to receive mail at the Shepherd Center from kind-hearted strangers who were following my updates and joining Archer's prayer warriors along the way. Each letter I opened astonished me. I was feeling an obligation in a good way, a connected way, to keep them all informed. Their cards strengthened me. As I prepared this episode, I found a journal entry about my writing the updates that said, doing so was as good for me as I imagined it was for them. Yes, my updates and journals were therapeutic to me. And as I wrote, it gave me a certainty about chronicling the craziness, as I thought Archer might want to know someday. Writing was a way to keep track of the many twists and turns in our day-to-day lives in the ICU and at Shepherd Center. I knew I would never have remembered it all. And when I wrote, I knew people would read the updates And I knew we would be on their minds. And that made me smile and lifted my heart. We so needed them. But it had been a week since I had sent any word at all. I owed them some news. Truth is, a few major setbacks had occurred that had me reeling. And I was round the clock trying to figure out how to get home to see my youngest son and how to keep the wheels on the bus working as my family depended on my income and it had been six weeks of not earning. I will share with you now what I had not been able to share in the Archer blog that had happened in the week when I had not written. Shepard informed us that Archer was not going to be moved to rehab. He was too weak to move. I was devastated. He was trying so hard, so very, very hard. And we had the room ready and waiting for him. It didn't seem to matter. It was also beginning to feel like tough love at the Shepherd Center. It seemed that Archer was not strong enough in their eyes. And that made me burn with anger. It felt like they may have thought they invited into their hallowed halls damaged goods, if you will. But I dared not say this, as I began to feel it might be precarious negotiating just to keep him there. They were 
the best. We needed to be there. I know they viewed Archer as the strong athlete that he was, and that portended great promise, which I was beginning to realize was what it was all about. We needed to be successful so they could claim success too. We were damaging their scorecard. They had promised us they would have Archer off a ventilator in three days, but it was long past three days. My goodness, it was 10 days, and then 13 days, and then 16 days, and two unexpected surgeries, and we were still in their intensive care unit. And I had realized there was a reason why it was only a few beds in the ICU. It was a pass-through to check the status of a patient upon arrival get them off their ventilator, and swiftly into rehab. I felt the rise of disappointment mixed with resentment, too. And I knew I dared not breathe a word of this, as those beds in rehab were scarce as hen's teeth. But the most heartbreaking news of all was that we arrived at Shepherd with the belief that Archer was a C5 quadriplegic, whatever that meant. I wasn't fully sure, but that is how Atlanticare had classified him and what was on his medical records. I knew he was also a burst injury because that is what Dr. Radcliffe, his surgeon, had told me the day after his first neck surgery. That meant his neck was not just broken, but shattered but he had said he had gotten all the bone fragments out of the spinal cord and spinal fluid. And I remember feeling relieved, even though I wanted to remember that because I didn't fully understand. But after tedious Asia tests on Archer, what Shepard told me in the last few days was that Archer was not a C5 quad but a C4 quadriplegic. And he was what they called Asia A complete. I had never heard that term before. And apparently every level from C2 to C9 means a world of difference in rehabilitation potential. C4 meant Archer would only have the ability to move his shoulder and likely not have ability to move or have the use of even the top of his arms. What we think of as where our biceps are. And the complete, well, that status of a quadriplegic is determined by the ability of the body's sphincter to involuntarily contract on its own, which allows you to defecate and go to the bathroom. The suffering of Archer's spinal cord would not allow his body to be able to do this most basic movement. I just couldn't wrap my brain around that. That everything would have to be done for him to eliminate, to live. 
It was devastating. And I was heartbroken. I do not know how Archer took the news because he still did not have a voice. He began and tried to talk quickly, but there was no sound. And it was a mystery, too, as to why that was so, that his vocal cords were scissored. But already, the fingers of the Shepherd medical team were pointing back at errors made when we were in Atlantic City. It was all devastating. And I was torn because I didn't know any better. And I was torn because I was also grateful to Atlantic Care for keeping him alive. And I was angry that there had been so many errors and his vocal cords may have been another from tubes kept in too long. I was low and felt very torn in another way as well. I was not just a mother for Archer, but I had our little 12-year-old son, Dutch, back in Baltimore, whom I really needed to see. It had been over two months that I had really not been able to be with him. That's a long time for a separation. I did go and see him. I'll tell you about that next time. But for now, I'll fill you in on the first part of the week that I was not able to write to you. So, I'll begin today with an interview of our daughter Paula and then the Archer blog and we will continue to then go backwards a bit in this episode to also include some text messages and other messages from family and friends. On a lighter note, (laughs) they might give you an idea of how to be helpful to your friends in a long-term medical crisis. They were very helpful to me. To Season 3, Episode 8, The Ability to Know Certain Things. I should also tell you that this episode will be a big update. Some major things had happened, literally, in the blink of an eye, just the day before I wrote the update, that I'll also share with you for context. A member of the medical staff came to tell us that we would be transferred from our hospital room in the ICU into a rehabilitation room on the adolescent floor within hours. It was both wonderful news, unexpected news, but I felt my suspicions up because Archer's health status had not changed. As it turns out, we had to be transferred or our room would have been given away. It all had to do with insurance, I think. But the fact that we had already staked our claim, if you will, played a role. Thank you, God, 
Lillian and Allison, that we had the foresight over a week ago to ask if we could move into Archer's rehabilitation room. Oh, I was learning quickly that even in a wonderful place like Shepherd, it was still the same as Atlantic Care. You had to stay one step ahead of the game, or try to, as you tried to figure out the rules of the game you were in. But I was just relieved and happy to be staying there and not asked to leave. I knew Archer was in worse condition than anyone had thought. All that seawater in his lungs and all that gunk and infection. I wanted to curse it. But I felt I also knew certain things. That this was just a bump. Well, that is the knowing I clung to. Just a bump. We would forge on. As we wheeled Archer on the stretcher across the hall to the adolescent rehab floor, Archer was finally in rehabilitation. And I remember reminding myself not to say we were finally in rehab, but to make sure I kept it to Archer's journey. I was aware of the danger of becoming enmeshed and didn't want to be or allow that to happen. But the truth was, by this time, there were many of us on Archer's journey with him, and I felt that it was partially a we. Family, friends, Archer's friends, blog readers, prayer warriors, hope lifters, and more. When we arrived in the room, there were many packages that had been delivered, and it made sense to me. Oh, that was our room in the hospital records. We really were not to have been in the ICU so long. Well, there were many brown paper packages. The moms of kids Archer went to high school with, some of whom I knew well, and others I had never met, sent care packages of McDonough School apparel, food, and goodies. There was a package of nature photos, which I wanted to hang up for Archer. There was a package of incense, and there were a few packages of books. Oh, my. A number of other quadriplegics had written books about their journeys, and friends and people I didn't even know well were sending them to me. I marveled at their covers. I had no idea when I would be able to read them, but I placed them on a shelf as a reminder that this, too, shall pass. There were also packages from total strangers we did not even know who had read the Archer blog. And there was a small package I opened last. It was beautifully wrapped and from a name I did not recognize. She was an old high school friend of my husband, Billy, Cloud Conrad, who now lived in Georgia. She was a jeweler, a silversmith. I did not know her, but as I opened the carefully packaged box and pulled out the contents of three thin, shiny, silver, hand-wrought cuff 
bracelets in three different sizes, <laughs> like Daddy Bear, Mama Bear, and Baby Bear. I was flooded with awe. They were hand-stamped, Archer Strong in the thick silver. They were exquisite. It took my breath away, their simplicity and their forged strength. Her note read that there was one for Billy, one for me, and one for Archer. She said she had made one for herself as well. As I continued to read her note, she said that she would make more if I liked them, and she would sell them and send all the proceeds to us. I remember looking up and holding the cuff meant for me and feeling the tears roll down my cheeks. I couldn't believe how creative and beautiful her offer was. And I marveled at her name, Cloud. And I knew, she knew, a reality I couldn't yet comprehend about expenses and what lay ahead for us. As I continued reading her note, she said, it was an honor to be able to make them for you, sending hope and prayers. I slipped mine on and felt an immediate connection to this beautiful, thoughtful artist. And to everyone, it was that expansive feeling of love flooding me again. Remember in the last episode how I felt that I really saw Archer? I saw him so beautiful and complete. And I was aware of how much I loved him. And I was reminded of how I fell in love with each of my babies. Remember that? Well, I had an opportunity very recently to talk with my daughter, Paula Sempt Easton, who is Archer's older sister, my first child, about this falling in love with my child experience. You see, Paula just had a baby herself, but back when Archer was injured, she was our 24-year-old oldest child who posted each of my Archer blogs for me while I was bedside with Archer. <laughs> yeah, whether 3 a.m. or 7 a.m. when I finished writing them, I would send every one of my writings to Paula first, who then posted them. I would write them on my phone on the notepad usually in the night, using my right thumb. And then I'd cut and paste them into a text to Paula. Yeah, all these long blogs into one text. When she woke up before work, she would post them on Facebook. I did not know how to use Facebook and did not want to be distracted. I just wanted to update my family and friends. Well, as I was producing the last episode, I wondered what it was like for Paula reading the updates. 
both as my daughter and our oldest child, and now as a mother. Seven years from Archer's accident, Paula had given birth to her first baby, who was not quite two months old at the time of this recording. So I called her up and asked if I could interview her. We'll start today's episode with an excerpt from that interview. So, settle in. Take a deep breath. Settle your body. Free your soul. And anticipate new insights for yourself. Here we go. Do you remember posting the Archer blogs? It's, it's been a number of years. I mean, we didn't call them the Archer blogs, right? We called them the updates, the family and friends updates. But do you remember just the experience of posting them and then reading them? I mean, are you kidding? Of course I remember. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was a major occurrence in my life. It was probably like the second biggest occurrence in my life outside of giving birth. <laughs> so, of course I remember. You know, just that. This, when we have these major uh, traumatic events and then trauma experiences, they are huge, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And while it yeah. was... It's been almost seven years for people in a trauma experience. It's it, that that doesn't feel like it was very long ago. I don't think so, especially when you think about like, I mean, I'm 31, so it's been like a third of my life ish has yeah. been like this. Yeah, it's not that much. That's like you know significant when you think about it in context. That is a way of looking at it proportionally to a third of your life was spent on the aftermath. When I sent you the updates every day, and I'm so grateful that you posted them because of course you know I knew nothing about how to do that. And it was just something else that you took off my plate. I was Which I now very much appreciate. Yeah, and you say that as a new mother or? Uh Uh-huh, like all the little things I used to do that I just like either don't care about anymore or I'm just like, I'll get to it later. Or like, I just feel so much more gratitude when they do get done by someone else. Yeah. Yeah. It's really amazing that, you know, before you have a child. As like self-sufficient like woman. And now like, I'm not, I'm not my first priority anymore. Right. Right. You, there's a lot of energy that has to be given to take care of somebody else mm-hmm. who, who really needs you, not just another like partner, someone else, but in, in your case, right, your, your new baby, our yeah. um, new baby, but all, and then seven back, weeks, seven weeks, where eight weeks on Sunday, eight weeks on so, Sunday, seven weeks and five days. Well, um, let's just talk about that for a second. Um, you've had a new baby. And yeah. Michael. And you were there. <laughs> well, yes, I was. I was there for it all. And Michael called me to tell me you were on your way to the hospital. I was there for it all. How incredible was that? And you were just unbelievably loving and put together and real and 
it, it was the birth of it was the birth of a story of how every mother would love to be able to have a baby. I think. Yeah. I feel very fortunate that it went the way that it did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Michael, you know, (laughs) it's funny if we look back on Archer, Michael was by your side, just beginning, just beginning to be by your side, but he was by your side, um, bedside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As a new boyfriend. Yeah. Yep. Seven years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So um, do you want to say anything about your wonderful, sweet daughter just for people to know about? You had a girl. We didn't expect that. Yes, a girl, um, which I'm thrilled about. Can't believe I have a daughter. Kind of gives me the tingles just to even say the word daughter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's beautiful and she's strong and she's got a little personality and she's starting to coo and smile. And oh, she cool. smiled within less than five minutes of being outside the womb. Yeah, yeah, she did. She did. <laughs> right at you. I grandma honey. I <laughs> grandma honey. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think I had taken it in that what you had named her. I was just taking her in. It really, it didn't hit me until later. Like, oh my gosh, I'm looking at Phipps. Yeah, little Phipsy girl. Phipps to Phipps. Phipps Ann, after many strong women, matriarchs in their own right, and the Phipps lineage, which I have always really admired and felt really proud to be a part of, so made a lot of sense and Michael was always on board from the beginning to name her that um a little girl if we had one which we did so and here she is thank you thank you for the honor and for the Phipps family honor really really extraordinary where we are in the story here's the entry that I sent to you and I know that you did read them and you've just really verified that and of course it impacted you this is just a piece said though nurse had come back shortly thereafter and told us surgery had posted about 6 50 p.m. I sent you a text post to let you know We're just so very, very grateful for your prayers. I knew that he was being held in the safety of your prayers since five o'clock and Archer needed them. We all needed them. We finished one rosary and began another. The words of prayers may not seem to matter so much, but the prayers that are so ancient and enduring are ancient and enduring for a reason. I can't imagine God doesn't mind, though whatever the words of your prayer are. I imagine he's happy to have a conversation with us. Isn't that crazy to think that God is happy to have a conversation with us? I believe it's right, though. He's so loving, and he so wants us to be with him. And Isn't that what it's like for all of us as mothers, as fathers? I know that's what it's like for you. We just want that connection with our children. 
no matter how old, no matter how far away, no matter what has happened between us, all the good and all the bad, God will accept us no matter where we are and no matter what kind of shape we're in when we just reach out to him. That knowing is so beautiful to me. That kind of love is everything, really. I mean, imagine if each time someone reached out to you with love trying to connect, you reach back in some small way. And imagine if each time you reached out to someone you love, especially someone you may have hurt or they may have hurt you, but you decided to reach out. And imagine if they reached back to you. We'd have so much more well-being. Love can restore all. And that kind of love is expansive. There is enough. Always enough. And it's not meant for just a few. This I've thought about many times over the years as it relates to children. I remember when Billy and I had Paula and when she was first born and I would hold her in her first couple days of life outside my womb and just gaze at her, marveling that I had a baby, a beautiful baby girl. I had a daughter. And then I remember the day when she was about two weeks old and I fell in love with her deeply. I remember saying to myself, oh my God, I'm falling in love with her. And I remember thinking that I could not love anyone as deeply as I loved her. That little baby lying on the changing table as I kissed her little toes and I rubbed her tiny little legs. And she looked at me and smiled. I couldn't believe it. I remember being elated. She smiled at me. I swear she smiled at me. And my heart leapt for joy. That connection was so stunning. I know that's what it's like for God with us. Because whatever we feel that is so good comes from that kind of love that God has for us. Then I go on. But I just want to pause there because I talk about, you know, how the potential of intimacy and then the potential for love to expand. What was that like? What's it like now? Reading, hearing that. Mm, it's different now. I think before you understand, but you don't like, you understand with your, your head, but not with your heart all, like all the way. 
I mean, you understand like your love for your siblings or your partner, or your parents, but like love for a child is just like so different. It is. What do you suppose now that you're a mom? Do you have a a way of just thinking about it, describing how it is different? I don't know. It's kind of like release, maybe. Like it's it's kind of freedom. Like you don't, I mean, of course you worry, but it's not, not worrying about the same things, like pleasing her or anything. It's just like free. It's freedom. Yeah. It, it's interesting. What, what comes up for me is there are no filters with, it's just pure yeah, like expand. Maybe that's what I mean. Like expansive. expansive. Like, like it's it's yeah, pure, expansive, free. It's not um, tainted. It's not. It's it's so freely no, given. Yeah, and without no, expectation like, of anything in return. Right, that's what I mean. Like, there's not like I don't know. I I worry about other people a lot, and I of course this is like separate from that. It's just like. I don't know. It just like exists and like fills like the whole space. Yeah. That's the expansive part. Yeah. That's why it's like, it's always, it's just never ending in, in abundance. You know, it's, it's like the epitome of being relational and not transactional. The love between mother and child truly is expansive. It's complete, complete alignment, mental, emotional, spiritual, and with a physical sensation. It's a total experience, and it's in our human wiring, full and complete. Love is woven throughout the entirety of Archer's story because of people like you. It was in the packages, the messages, cards, meals, prayers, and support. There are so many ways to lift up those in crisis, and they all make a difference. And cumulatively, they create a new vibration for healing. Okay, here is the much-awaited update. September 21st, 2015. Family and Friends Update. Day 48. My dear family and friends, I do not know where the time goes. You must be hungry for some news about our lion-hearted boy. The rehab days are full. Archer has made incredible progress. We also still toggle between two steps forward and one step back, and one step forward and two steps back. Hmm. But we do have such good news to share of the last seven days. Our good news began 
when Archer was moved out of ICU to the adolescent rehab wing of the fourth floor, one of the reasons we came to Shepherd. A mere 50 yards at best across the hall from the Shepherd ICU, but into a different world where the focus is rehab. It's been a brave new world for sure. The staff is oriented on the tough work of rehab and there are accomplishments I can now list that Billy and I wondered and hoped would be so after a full week. So let's celebrate that Archer is no longer on morphine or any narcotics for pain relief. That, that's a big deal. He's not yet pain-free, but his pain has subsided and no hard drugs. Let's all pause for the pain-free ways we can move and the ability to have daily joy without resorting to substances. It's a big deal, really. Our bodies don't want to be in pain. It's such a good thing when we feel better. And when we feel better, not because of substances. Oh, yes. Okay. So Archer still reports daily pain of five on a scale of one to ten. And yes, that does make him very stoic as he battles that intensity. But it appears he is as committed as we are to pain-reducing alternatives. Okay, here's what happened. Last week, the medical meeting which his team had with Billy was grueling at one point when Archer's lead doctor applied acute pressure to trigger points in his shoulders, which caused excruciating pain. She really gouged him, Billy said. Poor Billy had to witness that and said it was unbearable. But it has helped in combination with massage, acupressure, neural stimulation, and ibuprofen so that he doesn't ask for morphine and the other drugs. So to go from a regular 7 to 8 to a regular 5 on the pain scale is moving in a good direction for sure. Next, Archer was not only in a mobile wheelchair, he was driving it with a huff and puff wand in his mouth that he figured out in three days how to do. Forward, backward, stop, turn, etc. His leaning to the precise has helped him immeasurably in mastering, mastering that mobile wheelchair last week and not bumping into everything in his path. He drives that electric motorized wheelchair very seriously from his room to the gym, around the corner, and back. It takes a lot of concentration. He literally is driving it using his breath, which he puffs into a tube, but it's labored because he's on the ventilator, but it causes the electric chair to move. You know, I realize as I write that I still refer to Archer's mobile wheelchair as Archer's electric chair. 
yuck. I don't want to call it that. I mean, it is electric and all, but I think mobile might be the right term. I'm not sure. I need to ask. Surely they don't say electric chair. Around here, they just say chair. And third, Archer was dressed, dressed for the first time in 43 days last week. Yes, be gone hospital gown. Hello sweatpants or lax shorts and a short sleeve button-down shirt and t-shirt. Although regular t-shirts will have to wait as we tried and it was just too painful to get over his tracheotomy. They had sent me a list before we left Atlantic Care of what to bring. It was actually a very short list. Billy had selected some of Archer's clothes back in his room at the beach and brought them to the hospital and then had gone to the store for V-neck t-shirts, which we didn't own. Today, Archer chose a V-neck t-shirt from Target, lovingly washed multiple times by a dear Atlanta mom to make them soft. Thank you to all the moms who are with us on this journey, helping me at every turn in thought, word, and deed in Baltimore, Atlanta, and other states. I love you all so much. Archer looked downright good. You know, let's seriously thank God for our washers and dryers and all the countless loads of laundry we have done over our mom years. Okay, dads too who have done the laundry. And how good it is to be in soft, clean clothes. It is so, so good to be in clean clothes, simple as they may be. Thank you, God, for that blessing. The only thing missing from Archer's new attire his quick smile. He's very serious, but it will return. We have seen glimmers of his smile as visitors have stopped by, and I notice that those who engage Archer in real conversation about things he's interested in inject an excitement in him. And for the first time in a month and a half, he talks excitedly, but also exaggeratingly, so we can get what he is mouthing, especially during talks of sports and telling tales about Baltimore. He loves the short video clip from the McDonough football game. Oh, here it is for you. So many were Archer Strong. And he loves the Gilman School dress-down day in his honor, as we heard the school allowed kids to pay a dollar into the Archer Fund and dress down a day out of their high school uniforms and pay another dollar for an Archer Strong green wristband. He also smiled at a signed football from the coach of Alabama. Yeah brought to him by a number of players on the Alabama football team who came 
to the shepherd center, but were not allowed up in his room. So they sent the football they were not able to deliver, signed for him by Coach Nick Saban. The gifts are amazing, and we have so many people to thank. What he really loves are his texts that we read to him from his guy friends and even from one of my friends who tell him the scores of games and who did what. It's really extraordinary how boys communicate and how meaningful it was to Archer to have them share what he would have been commenting back on. He smiled every time. It was good. Another amazing gift was an Orioles team shirt that another mom had arranged to have the Orioles baseball team sign. No kidding. Signed by many of the players with personalized messages like Stay Strong, Archer, by Gerardo Parra, number 18. We Are Thinking of You, Archer, by Chris Davis, number 19. Archer Strong, by Ubaldo Jimenez, number 3. And there was a photo texted to me by a Cape May summer friend, Joanne Quinzer, of a sunset on our beach in Cape May with a text message that said, thinking of you, I showed it to Archer. He stared at it intently for a long time. And here are a few other texts. My dear Atlanta Angel, whom you now know, Didi Provosti Jasmine, texted me on September 18th with a football score to share with Archer. Didi had become close to Archer as she was my go-to for making sure Archer had someone with him at all times when I could not be. She learned how much he loved sports, and so she began following the games of his high school soccer team, McDonough the team he would have been playing on. It was a particular game early in the fall season and away game in North Carolina that she texted me about. Tell Archer, game ended fast due to a 58-0 score. Wow, I later learned they were all wearing the green Archer Strong wristbands. It was incredible and I also learned they were playing their season for him. Boys, they can do such wondrous things for each other. Our son Dewey, two years older than Archer, had been a starter on that team last season, so it meant doubly much to Archer and to me too. That same night, I sent a video link of the soccer game to Petey, our oldest son, for him and Archer to watch and feel like they were watching the game together. I expressed that I wanted it to lighten the night. I believe it did. Our whole family loved sports and especially Archer because he liked numbers and scores and strategy. We quite often were sent videos of Archer Strong chants at the McDonough football games, which sounded like a big chorus of young voices. They, too, had green Archer Strong wristbands and T-shirts supporting him.
when I received another video of one of those becoming famous Archer Strong chants, I wrote to a group of 27 family and friends on our family text string. Hi all, Arch and I really needed this sent to us about 30 minutes ago. It's been a rough and difficult transition, all getting better. We know we're in the right place, but gosh, it's hard. I was reminded again of how challenge and joy can live so close together, side by side. Yeah, Archer loves sports and is very much a boy's boy in those ways. He also loves to scan pictures that are sent to me to show him for familiar faces. He really studies them. I hold them up in front of him for many minutes while he looks intently at those of you who are sending photos. Thank you for this. One in particular was sent by Lisa O'Donovan, and it's of Archer when he was a little baby. He is on Billy's lap at a Ravens football game. He can't be more than two or three months old. Billy and I look so young. I have no idea where the rest of the children were that day. I honestly don't even remember it, really. But I now cherish that day and close my eyes to try to remember what it felt like holding Archer as a little baby with his big, wonderful life ahead of him. We all look so happy. Archer really studied that picture too. I wonder what it was that went through his mind. I taped the picture on the cabinet for him. I want to give thanks for Archer's army and your friendship and your love. It means the world to us and it's very present in our room and shows up daily just when we need it. I loved all our connections from home and friends all over the place. They were making it all bearable, at least for me. And thank you to all of you. It occurred to me that I would just give Archer pieces of what I was getting all day long because I got so many texts from people. But what I shared that was for him, he would close his eyes and savor. He had no way of communicating or connecting with anyone unless they were bedside. I remember having this burning desire to make sure we had Archer's friends come to Atlanta regularly. They were only in high school, but the plan was well underway, and I'll tell you about that in the next episode. For now, here's an excerpt from an interview with another one of the Atlanta Angels, Mary McCune Dillon, whom you've met, about filling Archer's days recovering with friends and support. 
as he got better, it was, you know, there was a, a need to fill those hours, you know, keep him interested. His friends were far and, um, without the use of his arms, he, you know, it's not like he could text and stay in touch with his buddies, you know, or it just, that it just, he lost all of that, um, day-to-dayness. And so he had to fill that up and needed company. That's, um, I remember very, very distinctly now that you bring this up, uh, Didi asking me, Louise, because Didi, the engineer also very yeah. just cut to the chase and drive. Logical. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you need. Mm-hmm. And I, I do remember what was top of mind was, it sounds so crazy, but, but as I look back, I, it was not crazy. I did not want Archer Sempt to have a moment, if we could avoid it, of depression while we needed to make progress. And Mm -hmm. I knew he was social and I knew he loved his friends. And it was how do I get his siblings and his friends down to Atlanta? That was just so top. Of, on my list of, you know, logistically, like, how can we figure that out? Yeah. And you guys were the godsend. While we were tucked away in our healing bubble, Archer and I greatly appreciated the basic necessities that people sometimes take for granted food, letters, ease of breath, peace, and quiet. Most of all, we relished friendship, and Archer's friends were so very important to him. They're important to every teenager, especially in times of hardship and need. After all, Archer was 17, and their kindness and strength were infectious. They were a glimpse of the outside world Archer was fighting every day to return to. And one of those battles soon became one of those basic necessities I mentioned before. Food. The next part of the Archer blog talks about his uphill battle and some of my food-related strategies for his healing. As for food, Archer continues to not be very interested in food. It's been over a week now. He was so looking forward to food, and we had such an amazing few days with what he wanted and tasted again. He's such a good cook and knows food well. I don't understand it. It scares me a little as food is such a small but real pleasure in life for him, for all of us, right? He'll sip or take one to two bites of some things, but he's just not interested. Even with his favorite French toast and the delicacies brought to him from Jenny's Kitchen and the Buckhead Diner by local moms here in Atlanta, 
taking an interest in his welfare, and by visiting Baltimore friends, nothing. I learned that his sense of smell is dulled because of the ventilator tube. Thus, his taste is seriously dulled as well. Okay, I guess I get that. But this appears to have gotten worse. Does this happen to all people on ventilators? I want him off that ventilator so badly. I just feel certain that it's causing him trouble in ways I do not understand. But I feel that way. But I also know it's keeping him alive. He also has had not much to eat for a week now, ever since the mucus secretions in his lungs have increased. And he's very tired. But if they just did the sinus surgery because of the mucus, and now his lungs are filling up again with mucus, what will be next? As for taste, as I was coaxing him to have some mashed potatoes tonight and some sweet potato with butter and brown sugar, Archer reminded me that he doesn't have his taste buds on his tongue, since that nerve was consumed by the cholesteatoma he had as a younger boy. Okay, that's true. But I reminded him that that nerve is rejuvenating itself as we speak and will have repaired itself by the time he enters his 20s because his body is still in serious growth mode. That's what his otolaryngologist at Johns Hopkins had told us. And that reminded me of a fact about age 17. Archer has a really good chance of his nerves being reconnected because his body is working on some of that naturally related to his age, right? But while we're waiting, it is a double whammy for him regarding the lack of ability to taste right now. I really appreciated today when his nurse told him in no uncertain terms that it doesn't matter if he can't taste. He had to eat if he wanted to get off this ventilator. I also really appreciated when she said, Look, Archer, your whole body is focused on one thing and one thing only, breathing. But you have to also focus on eating so you can also do the PT so you can go home. She also told him they will no longer crush up his meds into his feeding tube and that he will begin to take them orally. Whoa, another big deal. So he can be weaned off his feeding tube. That will be as much a psychological big deal as a physical big deal. As I look back to then, we have made many leaps in recognizing the connection of mental health and physical health and gut health. In a healing process such as Archer's or anyone with quadriplegia, there is no room to deny the impact of how one feels mentally on the body. 
and the long road to recovery. Psychological and physical health are just as intertwined as the body and the heart. These parts all work together to create a functioning system of health and wellness. And when one aspect of the body is in pain or out of whack, people report regularly being off their game mentally and emotionally. Right? Haven't you? People say they're out of sorts. Or when multiple parts of the body are in distress or under stress, the mental and emotional effects are unimaginable. And people report not being themselves, not to mention not being able to think clearly. A cascade of changes such as the ones Archer was facing and any family of a quadriplegic or child with a lifelong injury or disease go through, take time to process, both emotionally and mentally and physically. And this truth is highlighted by what we now know about the body. The body is not able to tell the difference between a physical or emotional danger threat, or loss. They are both experienced by the body in the body. In Trauma Healing Learning 7 with Dr. Janice Campbell, we learned about lingering trauma and emotion being stored in the body. The mind is a powerful thing. With intention of the heart, we have capacity beyond the power of the brain alone to heal the injuries not always visible to the eye or medical staff. As I reiterate the details of Archer's physical battle, I am struck even more keenly years later of his mental battle and the perseverance and strong will that it takes to not give up. I am still in awe of both his physical and psychological strength. And to all of you and those you know and admire who have cared deeply about living and not giving up, you inspire hope in us all. So, My dear family and friends, even with the transition from the ICU to rehab, Archer still has many medical issues, mainly his daily fight to breathe. While Shepard is expert at taking spinal cord injured people and helping to wean them off the vent, it is not the average patient here that is on the vent or on the vent so long. I wonder and pray they have the experience to wean Archer off the vent after all. I cannot tell you how painful these deep lung suctions are to watch. And watch I must as Archer won't allow the text to start even as he gasps for air until he knows I am in place on his left side at the ready to hold down his involuntary spasmodic left arm to protect it from falling 
or hitting something during the sessions. As he struggles, gagging, we often lock eyes together and together concentrate. Mine in imagination and his with all his fibers on forcing his diaphragm muscle to contract for hawking up a loogie to get the gunk up. But it is in those times, thankfully, not as often, when at the end of four or five tube-lined fishing expeditions down his esophagus into his lungs, when his efforts begin to yield little results. And yet, he is still having difficulty breathing. When I see the desperation begin to creep over his face, I close my eyes, still holding his left arm down with some force, and I pray, and I pray hard. I pray hard to the Blessed Mother Mary, and I envision her arms around Archer. I know it's not a good prayer stance, as it feels as if by sheer will I am willing her there. My faith should be stronger, where I can just know she is there. But the intensity of my desire for relief for Archer only pales in the efforts I know he is giving. After each session, he is so very wiped out. I told Archer, I am praying to Mary when I close my eyes. He nodded. I do it every time because if I did not, it would be unbearable to continue to watch. She and Christ hold me up. This morning, during one of the seemingly never-ending suction episodes, Archer's lead doctor and the case manager walked into the room. Archer was beat red. His eyes were about popping out of his head. Tears were being squeezed out of the corner of his eyes from the straining of the suctions. His entire face was beaded with heavy perspiration. His long mane was wild. His upper body was heaving and the two respiratory techs who were shaking his abdomen were giving short orders to each other for what to do in the next somewhat frenzied moments. Since this is honestly not what the techs on the rehab floor are used to doing. So the case manager and another intern doctor tagging along to learn came into the room talking as they entered. And their conversation did not alter. The case manager was telling the new young doctor that she had been selected for jury duty and how painful it was to even think about going. They stopped at the foot of Archer's bed. We were all very focused on deep suctioning respiratory session that was deep in progress. Archer was writhing. I was praying. She literally continued in her conversational tone Jerry duty is so painful to have to go and just sit there. 
To even think I have to sit there is so painful. All the while, Archer was struggling mightily. I couldn't help myself but to shoot her a look. But it did no good. When the session was finished and we were mopping Archer's face and eyes from the sweat and telling him he did a great job and showing him the amount of gunk he brought up, the doctor stepped forward and kindly told him, she can't promise him it will get better. She referenced another boy a year ago who was in a similar situation and in a few months, he did get better and off the vent. The case manager then chimed in and said, Oh, yes, I remember when that boy first came. He was really pitiful. I just couldn't take it. My lion-hearted boy is fighting for his life. That other boy must have been fighting for his life, too. So I turned and said, Please, do not refer to any of these young men here as pitiful. But at that moment, Archer gasped for more air and we were at it again. About 15 minutes later, with the suctioning session behind us and the medical team departed, I went out in the hallway to get Archer some ice for a cold head towel. And the medical team was outside another room, chatting and having a convivial exchange. As I passed the case manager, I paused and turned to her privately outside the earshot of the others as they carried on. And I said, you know, a few minutes ago, there were two times when my son was being deep suctioned and working really hard on breathing. And you said some things that I thought were not kind or at best not appropriate or helpful in our presence. I mentioned the jury duty being so painful as he was writhing and her referencing another quadriplegic boy as pitiful. To her credit, she said right away, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. And I said, Okay, I believe that. I know you didn't mean to. But I added, It would just be helpful in the future if you didn't say things like that around us while he's working so hard to live and recover. That's all. She looked right at me and said, Oh, yes, of course. I should have been more mindful. I thought that was beautiful. What strength she had in that moment to say that to me. It comforted me. I gave her a big smile and a thumbs up as I continued on my way back into Archer's room. As I reflect on it, I really admire her for that response. I believe we will work even better together. 
It's not uncommon to encounter mistakes in a hospital setting. Lord knows, Archer and I experienced a fair share of medical mishaps, especially in Atlantic care. This one, however, was slightly different. I imagine doctors sometimes become desensitized to the daily struggles of patients, even when they are witnessing them firsthand. Earlier, I talked about the difficulty of processing mental hardship and stress. Maybe this is their way of coping in an environment of turmoil and painful healing. Hospital settings and haunting hospital sounds that are constant can be overwhelming. But oh, think about this experience from the patient's perspective. When each day is a new fight to live and recover, when breathing becomes a battle and a luxury, and when they're faced with the reality of taking one step forward and two steps back. This is why our case manager's response was so important. Mindfulness. Sometimes it's everything. It's one of the main keys to healing, along with kindness and empathy. Well, we were lucky to experience so much of these things along the way from family and friends and other medical team members who supported us. I then hoped we would experience a similar mindfulness in rehab with her after our conversation. Archer seems to be more anxious in rehab than in the ICU. I imagine this is because the staff ratio is much less on this side and his breathing issues are still acute. I continue to gently remind staff to think as if they were Archer. Even though he doesn't quote unquote feel it, his body still responds to being out of alignment in his wheelchair or to feeling an abrasion from a chest belt tightened too far down the body so that it cuts the top of his legs when Archer is uprighted in a wheelchair or the arm straps that always need to be applied in the wheelchair on the weekends when he doesn't have his hand splints so his arms don't fall even when he is at rest or the mouth suction or the other sip and puffs not poking him in the face because we forgot to adjust them when the techs came in to turn Archer, or the tiny hair that is bothering him on his forehead that he had Billy smoothed back that he didn't want to ask staff to do because he'd be waiting a long while, or the itch on his nose for the same reason, or the tickle in his ear or the perspiration on his upper lip to be wiped away. It is still constant, but so important as his comfort is everything. It's such a tiny thing to pay attention to someone's comfort. But the cause of anxiety, I think, is over the sensation of not being able to breathe. And if Billy or I I'm not there, 
and the sip and puff call is out of reach because it was inadvertently knocked just out of reach as he can only go so far in a stiff neck brace to try to get it with his mouth? That's scary. Really. It's legitimately scary. Imagine for one moment the situation for a quadriplegic on a ventilator. We've talked about mindfulness in past seasons and mindfulness of the staff person. Well, mindfulness is being present in the moment with yourself and your surroundings. And it has so many connections to the powerful aspect of the human capacity for empathy. No, none of us could put ourselves in Archer's exact shoes or position. But what we could do was support him, anticipate his needs, and consider what might make his discomfort more bearable. What might lessen his fears in the new rehab environment. The unknown is a scary thing, and sometimes just acknowledging someone's fears can begin to calm the anxious central nervous system. I imagine you can recall a time when someone validated your fear, whether they had experienced your same situation or not, and it made a world of difference in how you experienced them and your situation, right? Oh, yes. Affirmation, not to mention personal accountability, is one of the great relational warriors in the fracture and repair, fracture and repair battle. Well, one thing was certain for me. A big goal was to remedy the ventilator situation and the very scary situations it sometimes caused Archer. He needed someone around. There were no other quads on vents in the rehabilitation rooms. So, we have got to get Archer into a situation off the vent. The pull-out chair in his room, it's not bad to sleep on. But I don't want him anxious like that, whether I am here all night or not. So far, Billy, when he was here, or I, have stayed with Archer every night because he's asked us to. Petey was here this weekend and that helped as well, especially with the long night vigils with respiratory issues. We've been considering the need for another pacemaker. Yeah, this time for Archer's diaphragm to further his ability to get off the vent as his body at C4 may not be able to make the progress we would all like to see, even though his daily fight is nothing short of valiant as he is deep suctioned regularly throughout the day with all the gagging and writhing that that brings. And his nights vary from a few suctions to deep suctions every hour and a half or so, with some suctions lasting almost an hour and necessitating full-on staff of five of us performing the various roles 
of the deep suction in the dead of the night as Archer gasps to breathe. The stubborn mucus secretions which his body continues to create as a result of his injury are just part of what he has to go through. There have been so very many times when Arch could have given up, but he didn't. For the first time, though, Archer got mad this past weekend. During one of the suctionings, his left hand fell off the side of the bed as his shoulders heaved, and I lost the ability to hold it down because I was reaching to hit the button to turn off the blaring respiratory alarm that none of the techs could possibly reach as everyone was working very, very hard to keep the respiratory rhythm steady for Archer while they pushed on his abdomen to loosen up the pockets of thick secretions and threaded the tube down into his lungs to pull out the gunk forced up by Archer's forced gagging. Well, as his arm slipped, he furiously barked, Get my fucking arm! It was stunning to me how loud that command was when he actually made no sound at all as he had no ability to make any sound. But it pierced me and ripped me in two. It was a combination of feeling rejected as I was trying so hard and feeling like I had utterly failed him. Every fiber of his facial muscles were in that command. So I know how very protective of his hands and arms he has been, since it is so easy for them with their dead weight to flop down and hit hard on sharp things and cause damage to themselves if we're not ever so vigilant. I felt awful that I had failed him. I looked at him with tears and mouthed amidst all the commotion of the suctioning. I am so sorry, my darling. I am so very sorry. He gave me a terse version of a butterfly nod and the suctioning continued. It's just hard. Even as I write you, I feel the paradox, the exhaustion from the monotony and the exhaustion from the high drama of the deep suctionings. Poor Archer is exhausted. The long journey aspect of this ordeal has definitely sunk in. It's not fun. It's downright sobering at every turn. But honestly, the visitors and cards and prayers have been what has kept Archer's spirits up. I can't imagine this without them. We have heard from so many people, and we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Our room looks like, well, I'm not sure what to compare it to as every inch of wall space is covered with a banner or poster or saying. But it's full of love and color. And it's full. The pennants are like prayer flags. And Archer 
chose to put the banners signed by so many people from the Archer Mass along the wall where he could see them. In this order, strength, hope, faith, courage. Pete, affixed to the ceiling acoustic tile, right above Archer's bed, where he looks straight up when on his back in his stiff collar, a poster of the picture of his tree in our Cape May backyard, the one I feel had really spoken to me that first week or so, that eerily shed its leaves and then greened up. When we opened the poster from another Baltimore angel, it took my breath away. Archer hadn't seen the photo and didn't know why it had been sent. I have so much to tell him someday. Here's an excerpt of an interview I had with Archer's aunt and my sister, Lillian Phipps Johnston. Do you remember what we called in Cape May Archer's tree? where he would play yes. croquet in the backyard at the Cape May house and um, and then how the tree literally shed in the middle yes. of the summer and lost all of her leaves in the middle of the tree. And I, to me, I could hear, I could hear those leaves dropping one morning when I went home to take a shower from the hospital. And I, I really felt like there were tears of that tree that watched Archer every single night of that summer. And someone took a picture of that tree, or maybe it was a picture I had had of that tree, now that I think about it, and had posted on the Facebook where all the updates were. Someone had taken it and made it into a poster. Do you remember oh, that? cool. That may have come after you were there. And we, we put that on the ceiling so Archer could see it because he was on his back so much right. of the time. I also imagine there is much Archer has been thinking about, and I hope he will tell me or somebody someday. In one of the conversations today with a PT or OT or one of the therapists, a reference was made to Archer coming a long way. Archer was in his wheelchair, and I said something like, yes, he sure has, my goodness. We almost lost him in the ICU three times, not to mention his near drowning, and I was mid-sentence when Archer looked at me and mouthed, that is the hardest. Please don't talk about it. It's the hardest for me. He was referencing the near drowning. I looked at him closely. He was tender and teary. I pulled up a chair to be alongside of him and then said, when you're ready to talk, there is somebody here at Shepherd." who can listen. 
I'm here to listen too. I'm trained to listen. And I smiled. And he gave me the sweetest smile in return. And he mouthed, I know, but not yet. So I know there is much there. The recovery is complicated. We will make space for all the many rooms of this recovery mansion. Today was also a turn the corner kind of day in other ways. The good news is that Archer's vital capacity, lung, which had been 150 upon arrival at Shepherd, is now 600. That's huge. In order for Archer to get off the vent, his vital capacity needs to be above 1,000. The goal is 1,200. We are used to goals on this journey. It seems they are all ratcheted downward as we take whatever we can get, honestly, and the plans go to plan B or plan C. But I am optimistic Archer can get it to 1,000. Let us all breathe and feel the lung capacity we have. Basically, how you can just blow out. It's really incredibly simple and also very profound for independence and freedom. Notice how your diaphragm moves up and down so freely and also so powerfully as it expands your lungs. And you don't even think about it. Imagine trying to effort that when you have no innervation below the upper chest. I just find it remarkable what Archer still fights to be able to do. Let's all give thanks for our diaphragms and please say a little prayer to send those new nerve impulses to Archer's diaphragm. I honestly believe that collectively we can do that. Archer's time to die is not now. We have seen that. We can collectively imagine Archer's diaphragm moving freely on its own and he will feel that. This I am certain. We really need Archer to progress with his respiratory issues so that he can then focus on the hard PT. It's possible Archer may need an anexoflator, a cough assist machine, if he continues to improve but still needs help. That way, we could skip the diaphragmatic pacemaker. Archer's not in favor of the pacemaker. He believes he will not need it and he is trying hard to cough and practice. To get an anexoflator, we will need to wait a month from the time when the last chest tube was removed. So we will look forward to October 7th for the use of that device in the event Archer has not improved. 
we were reminded this is a slow process and the secretions are expected for two to three months. Oh Lord, please sustain Arch for the deep suctions ahead. Believe it or not, that piece of knowledge coupled with the new chest wrap Archer is now sporting as of this afternoon, which is hooked up to another machine, which literally shakes him around his abdomen before each suctioning, really does help and has both of us feeling more grounded and hopeful. The uncertainty that is the worst part for Archer now is the approximate length, at least for the abatement of the secretions. So another really wonderful prayer would be for God to fill Archer with strength, to endure the uncertainty and to endure the secretions. It may have crossed your mind why Archer has such respiratory issues when he is C5. Well, Billy and I were given very sobering news two weeks ago, which was hard to digest. We wanted to see how Archer might do once moved to rehab. Although his neck break was at C5, because he is a burst, his entire vertebra at C5 was shattered and parts of it may still be in his spinal cord in places no one knows. He is also what they call a partial C4 on his right, which accounts for his left bicep stronger than his right and for the degrees of respiratory issues. His level of functioning is C4. He's classified as C4 Asia A. When one of the doctors first told me in the ICU here, I really felt my knees buckle and my lips begin to quiver as I listened. I had to sit down. It's so commonplace for them that as lovely and kind as they are, there was no recognition of what it was like to hear this level of classification when it was devastating enough that we had been living with Archer as a C5 quad. Now, it's a C4. Had I written you then, it would have just been a wailing lament of how can this be? But like all of this, we must accept what it is while also holding the belief, and I do, very deeply in my heart, for a creative miracle. I said to Archer today, God is at work, my love, with the creative miracle. There are fibers in your body, Archer, that are beginning to connect. Do you believe that? He looked right at me, closed his eyes, and then opened them again, and nodded his head very deliberately, and mouthed, Yes, I do. And a crazy thing happened with my meeting this lady, 
who has a 25-year-old daughter here from a car accident and a C2 injury. Oh, she was very regal, like an African queen. We were both in the nourishment room where we happened on each other. We chatted for about 10 seconds, exchanging the names of our children and the type of injury. She then looked hard at me and then said, very matter-of-factly, God is going to work a miracle through your son. She really said that. We had never met. And she said, I have been blessed since I was young with the ability to know certain things. And I felt very strongly when you told me your son's name, Archer, that God was at work. We have believed that for some time now, I told her. And we just smiled at each other. And we both spontaneously reached out and held hands and said we would pray for each other's children. I told her her daughter can experience a miracle too. We don't know when or what it will look like, but God is going to work a miracle. Archer is willing, and it's going to be so beautiful. If you're willing, please pray with us the prayer for a creative miracle. It goes like this. Prayer for a creative miracle. God of all creation, you who spoke a simple command and brought forth light from the darkness, I call upon you now to send forth your miracle working power into every aspect of Archer's being. In the same way that you spoke unto the dust of the ground when you created humankind in your own image. I ask you to send forth your healing power into Archer's body. Send forth your word and command every cell, electrical and chemical impulse, tissue, joint, ligament, organ, gland, muscle, bone, and every molecule in Archer's body to come under complete and perfect health, strength, alignment, balance, and harmony. It is through you that Archer lives and moves and has his being. With every breath he takes, he lives under your life-giving grace. I ask you to touch Archer now with the same miracle-working power that you used when you fashioned Archer inside my womb. As surely as you have created Archer in your image and likeness, you can also recreate Archer now and restore his health. Please, fill Archer with your healing power. Cast out all that should not be inside of him. I ask you to mend all that is broken. Root out every sickness and disease 
open all blocked arteries and veins, restore his internal organs, rebuild his damaged tissues, remove all inflammation, and cleanse Archer of all infections, viruses, and destructive forms of bacteria. Let the warmth of your healing love flood Archer's entire being so that his body will function the way it was created to be, whole and complete, renewed in your perfect health. I ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. And let us all give thanks for everything we have, as we are all miracles. Sending love. Amen. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Tune in next week for our companion Trauma Healing Learning 8, Zen for Surgeons with Dr. Phil Parazio at UPenn Medical System. And thank you for listening. And thank you for telling your friends about Blank of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by I See That, the integrative center for trauma healing, advocacy, and transformation. A nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. I See That provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. I See That also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. I See That will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, October 5th, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.iseethat.org. That's I, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.